This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. When your personal care routine needs a refresh, Dr. Squatch is here to help. They have high-performing natural products with no harmful ingredients that'll have you looking and smelling your best. Like the Bay Rum Soap and Deodorant. It smells delightfully spicy. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Spotify or use the code Spotify at checkout. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. Brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Hello there, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, one of the technical editors here at Bike Radar, uh, and joining me all the way from Peebles in Scotland uh, is Alex Evans, who's another one of our tech heads on Bike Radar. How's it going, Alex? Yeah, good, thanks. How's it going, Tom? Hello, everybody. Nice to be chatting to you today. How's uh, what's all happening up in Peebles today, Al? Is it uh, nice and sunny? Oh, delightfully beautiful. Already been on a already been on a thousand meter cross country ride this morning, which is uh, neck. Yeah, I know. One kilometre, you went mad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> thousand metres of climbing before the pre a pre work spin uh, on on a cross country bike, as it happens actually, which is quite topical considering uh, considering what we're going to be talking about today. We are we are, we we're going to cover off cross country because it seems that 2020 is definitely the year that cross country has gone. It's kind of kind of gone mainstream, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you know, there's quite a few factors there that are, that are kind of contributing to that. And I think 2020, an Olympic year, has got to be probably one of the biggest ones. Mm, I mean, we were always expecting um, there to be quite a few cross country bikes to be launched uh, in 2020, partly because of that. Olymp- you know, like the Olympics is. I think arguably the, the the Olympic cross country race is probably the most viewed uh, or the most a sort of widely watched mountain bike race on the planet. I mean, downhill uh, probably gets the limelight a lot of the time, certainly here in the UK. But if we're talking globally, you know, XC is the only mountain bike um, race at the Olympics and the Olympics is the, the most watched sporting event in the world ever. So it stands to reason that it must be the biggest watched mountain bike race, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that, that logic is uh, it's unquestionable. It's, you know, it's, yeah, it's sound. I mean, fine. The World Cup races get broadcast on Red Bull TV and, you know, seeing some of the viewing figures for those, we do know that a lot of people watch the cross-country riding, mm. but the Olympics brings it to everyone. It brings it to your grand, to your mum, to your sister, the people that don't normally see that kind of thing. And it, it's an amazing showcase for our sport as well. You know, the tracks are amazing, the tech's amazing, and this year we have seen some really good new bikes. Well, I guess you know it's, this is uh, the brand's ex, you know opportunity to present their bikes to that audience that isn't normally watching mountain biking. So that's sort of why we see a lot of new bikes coming out um, for an Olympic year. Yeah, absolutely. So what ones have we had so far this year? I'm kind of putting you on the spot there, but I know that <laughs> you've I know that you've sort of tested the majority of cross country bikes this year, so you've got a pretty good pretty good handle on on what's been launched so far. 
Um, yeah, I've sort of been, well, I'd call it lucky. I think lockdown has been, um, if we, sorry, going back very quickly, we, we talked about um, there's been a number of factors that have helped cross-country become so big this year. And I actually think one of those things has been lockdown. You know, people are riding from their homes. People are potentially riding more miles than they might otherwise have done because they're not driving to those dedicated trail centres or, or bike parks. And so, you know, the shorter travel bike that is happier covering those longer distances maybe is getting that limelight. And it, as, it, as we're sort of alluding to, um, a lot's been launched and I've, I've ridden a lot of them. So um, the main ones, I guess, um, Cannondale Scalpel was one of the first to be launched this year. Um, that's an updated version, completely new frame set. Um, and then the Specialized Epic, uh, that again came out, uh, a new version this year. And that's got to be one of the classic cross-country bikes. That's the one everyone knows about, um, along with the Scalpel, along with, you know, Scott Sparks as well. Um, and then more recently, we've just seen um, a new version of the Orbea Ois, or Oith. I don't know, I can't speak Spanish very well. Um, uh, Orbea Oith. Sounds like you nailed it, mate. That sounds like Thank the you. most perfect, perfect, perfect pronunciation <laughs> ever. So those are sort of three, um, like hundred mil full suspension XC race bikes. We've also seen um, a new Orbea Alma. Last year we saw a new Specialized Epic Hardtail. Um, We've seen interesting bikes from Trek last year, the Super Calibre, a soft tail design, effectively. Um, and boy, I mean, there's another bike that I can't talk about right now, but uh, another hardtail from a Swiss brand that's really interesting. So, you know, this year there has been an awful lot. Yeah, and the, the, the companies have been going absolutely mad for it, haven't they? They've they've been taking all of these years of cross-country expertise of, you know, reducing weight and increasing stiffness but then also they've kind of been following this new trend of having slightly slacker geometry here and there. There have been a few other bikes that sort of crossed the line between cross country and trail into this new down country discipline. Um, yeah, it's, well, you've, you've ridden a couple of down country bikes, is that right? Yeah, so you know it's 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 kind of a difficult discipline to put your finger on exactly, um, and it really is blurring the lines between trail and cross country. Um, so earlier this year, um, in the winter, I rode BMC's Agonist, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is kind of like a, it's like a trail bike, but it's also a cross country race bike. So, you know, you could argue down country. Um, and I also rode the Merida 120, uh, with both of these reviews being on bike radar, um, the Merida I rode more recently. Now the Merida's touted as a, as a full on trail bike, but it's got kind of more cross country geometry. So the brands seem to be kind of working out where exactly and what exactly is needed to make the perfect cross-country bike. And, you know, some of the bikes that you've ridden as well, like um, the, the, the Epic, not the mm-hmm. Epic Evo, that's kind of got true cross-country geometry still, hasn't it? Well, I think the Epic is possibly the most exciting of the cross-country bikes launched this year. I'd argue that the Trek Supercaliber is almost more interesting, I guess, or more exciting. But that was launched last year, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But oh, the hat. ones launched this year... Oh, old hat. Boring. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, hopefully I'm getting a 2021 in, in October that we've not been able to get hold of one on Bike Radar yet. But I've been promised this morning um, that I'll get one on around October the 10th. So I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, the Specialized Epic is... 
I mean, if you look at sort of cross-country bikes geometry, they've always been fairly traditional, right? So shorter reaches, steeper head angles, maybe not such radical seat tube angles. Um, and, you know, they've always had this sort of um, almost road bike feel, you know, very efficient on the climbs and sort of the, the descending capabilities was kind of an afterthought. However, it seems that, you know, the latest raft of XC bikes, that's sort of changing a little bit. So um, this, the Epic is... I said in the video that we did about the bike that's on our YouTube channel that it was the most radical um, XC bike on the market. And um, well, I said the most radical XC bike built by a mainstream manufacturer. Now, in the comments, obviously, a few people did point out other bikes, and very rightly so. Um, the NS Synonym, for example, is utterly rad, like such a cool little bike. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I've got one coming too for tests, actually. But the mainstream brands, you know, the Epic has a 470mm reach in a size large, which is longer than many trail bikes out there on the market. It's got a 67 or 67.5 degree head angle, which again is basically a trail bike head angle um, and a fairly steep seat angle. But it's still packaged up in this 100mm chassis with a 100mm fork, super lightweight. Um, and of course, their brain suspension, which is basically um, this little inertia valve that sits uh, behind the rear axle. There's one in the fork as well. Uh, and it kind of automatically locks and unlocks the the fork and the shock depending on sort of bumps coming from the ground so it's like a you know the brain has been around a long time but it is such an exciting interesting bike yeah and, and there's so much going on with it isn't there you know that's kind of one of the you know that, that's one of the draws with it it's, it's got all this tech in it and now like you say it's it's starting to get more extreme and i guess the desire for that sort of a bike is driven from the top world cup cross-country riders because they're riding gnarlier, more extreme terrain. And there's no denying it that those guys, they absolutely shred the downhills. You know, mm, Nino Scherter is incredible on a bike, right? Absolutely. And that's just to pick out one, right? You know, you mm. watch you watch the likes of Emily Batty or Yolanda mm-hmm. Neff ride, and they're, they're, they're bonkers as well. They've got such skills on their bikes, considering how high the seat posts are. They don't necessarily have droppers. So they're going to be driving all of this desire to have geometry that's better suited for descending while still having a bike that's mega light mega stiff and can climb to the top and you know for people like you and i we're we're benefiting from this so much because it means that it's getting close to a one bike quiver if you're not interested in you know getting gnarly and riding enduro or whatever um yeah you know suddenly an epic evo or the uh, the scalpel, like the you know S- the, the SE, the SE version of it as exactly. Well. You know, you can actually ride these bikes around a trail centre and be pretty happy doing so. And that's oh impressive. god, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we forks such as the new Sid with, with its thirty five mil chassis, so not the Sid SL, but the standard Sid, and, and, and the Fox thirty four step casts. You know, those sort of almost define this. I mean, if we're going to talk about downcountry a little bit, but um, th- this drive for, for XC bikes becoming more capable and more rad obviously does come from from the races, and that's born as well from you know the changing courses. You know, okay, Nove Mesto has been around for a long time, has always been one of the gnarlier XC tracks, but now Nove Mesto doesn't really stand out as a particularly radical XC track because all the other tracks that are being built, that are being designed, and that are being raced on are picking up those sort of rock gardens, the root, you know, the matted roots, the drops, the jumps, the doubles, all this sort of stuff. And then combined with super punchy, steep climbs, you know, no longer is it sort of like a, a watts to kilo or kilos to watts sort of race to the top of the hill and then you sort of suffer the down. I mean, I, I was chatting to um, a 
a product manager for a cross-country bike brand um, a couple of days ago. And the old adage in cross-country used to be that races were won on the climbs and lost on the descents. I.e., you've got to be really fast up the climbs um, to win. And then, you know, you just got to make sure you get down the, down the descents without crashing. And then you'll be fine. It's just a survival saying, thing, right? Just, just it's a survival. surviving, yeah. Yeah, and, and the racing is on the climbs. What he's saying now is that with these punchy climbs, more technical descents, the the races are won on the climbs and the descents. You can't just sort of suffer the descents. You've got to attack. You've got to ride hard. And you've got to be able to get down them because, you know, if you don't get down it, you're going to lose so much time on these technical tracks that you have to be capable. And that's then born into the design of his bike. So longer reaches, slacker head angles on the full suspension bikes. And even on the hardtails, you know, we get, we're getting wider tyres with more volume run on wider rims. We get in frames that are having plenty of um, compliance built into the back end. Um, there are still courses where a hardtail is as fast or slightly faster perhaps than a, than a full-size bike if the racers prefer that. But they have to be capable. They have to have those, again, slack head angles, longer reaches to make sure that they're confident, to make sure they're confident and capable on the descents. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. And, you know, t- talking about some slightly less mainstream brands, Transitions, mm. New Spur, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a 120 millimeter travel cross-country bike as a headline figure. But it's got a 66 degree head tube angle. Yeah. You know, and it's got massive long reaches and it's got a relatively steep seat tube angle. And you're just like, well, you know, why not? It makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't have a hugely detrimental effect on the climbs it's not going to make you significantly slower but my god it's going to be easier to ride on the descent mm. and i mean i guess that's definitely sort of in that um down country category isn't it the spur yeah totally yeah yeah i mean that that kind of pushes the pushes the limits i guess you could say um and you know some of those figures i mean that they'd have been at home on an enduro bike except for the travel obviously a few years ago um mm. which is bonkers but you know who's, who's to say that's not the right direction I guess these down country bikes are almost um, the the bikes that people obviously not going to say should be riding, but like if if you're looking for you know a bike for long days in the hills, you know and if you're not racing as such, you know these down country bikes probably are sort of the right machine for most people's jobs. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. You know, there's, there's I mean, there's definitely a point in bobbling around the trail centre on an enduro bike, but I think you'll have significantly more fun doing a trail center as long as you're not riding you know gnarly off-piste sections that could be there on a downcountry bike you know you're going to be Mm. flying to the top of the hills and then on the descents as long as the geometry and i think that's probably one of the most key points about the whole thing is that it needs to be a geometry first approach to this bike design and to which sort of bikes that you want to ride you're going to be flying on the downhills as well and you're just going to have an absolute whale of a time for no Mm. kind of discernible disadvantages for for people like you and me i've been riding um the yeti sb 115 quite a bit recently um, yeah. on top of sort of the xc bikes and um that is basically they, they they've taken the sb 100 which is their xc race bike and you know they added a longer fork they've tweaked the um the little linkages between the front and rear triangle and added a longer stroke shock um and it's fair to say, you know, if, if we're talking about radical sort of downcountry bikes, the Yeti isn't one. It, its geometry is fairly conservative, but it's still within that downcountry realm. And that bike is so much fun. Like, I, I've, I've got a real thing about um, riding bikes that sort of feel that you can push them to the edge of their abilities or capabilities. And, you know, like they, they feel a bit rattly. You, you push them hard and you sort of, 
I've always found like with longer travel enduro bikes is that I'm an absolute passenger on them. I'm <laughs> never going to push an enduro bike anywhere near its limits, you know, because I'm not that race EWS certainly couldn't podium on an EWS. So they almost feel a little bit wasted on me. But as a regular trail rider, you know, like there's something about being able to push those bikes to, you know, skittering about and pushing them hard and banging through the travel. I, I, they are so much fun and they are capable. You know, you can stick them down somewhat fairly steep without getting too out of shape. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. You know, as, as long as you, you know, you don't have your sights set on the Champery, um World Cup downhill track. <laughs> yeah. yeah, completely. You know, I completely agree with you. And there's definitely something to be said with with riding a bike to its limit and how good that feels. You know, it's the same thing with cars. I'm sure you'll have loads more fun driving a Panda, a Fiat Panda 100 horsepower around little country lanes as you would a Lamborghini Aventador because you're going to be ringing it <laughs> within an inch of its life. And, you know, that same yeah. thing goes with bikes. You're going to have so much more fun on a bike that's, you know, you are riding at its limit. It, you know, that, that's that's what biking's about, right? That's having mm. fun, surely. So if we're going to think about cross-country, you know, over the next couple of years, obviously we're not going to see the Olympics this year, but we'll see it next year. Um, there's still a few bikes to be released um, this year, and I suspect next year as well now um, with a cross-country focus. Um, there's... A couple of things within XC that haven't happened yet that I, I suspect we will start to see in the next couple of years. And, and the biggest one of those is aerodynamics. We've talked about this a number of times on the pod because I, I just feel like it's, a, it's an element of mountain bike design that is completely ignored a lot of the time, but we see quite a lot in road bikes. Um, what do you think about the idea that you know we're not seeing aerodynamics considered in bike design? I mean, do you know what? For those guys, when... Speed is everything. They already wear Lycra. I'm sure quite a few of the top racers shave their legs as blokes for what kind of reasons? You know, I don't know. Whether you think that's just for comfort, whether you think that's for better aerodynamics, I don't know. But yeah, completely, you know, it's a holistic package, right? Everything needs to be taken into account. And I think that, yeah, I think that if if there's an advantage to be made, I'm hoping that we'll be able to see that happen. You know, it is kind of, it doesn't make sense that it hasn't been happening up to this point. I was talking to Rob Weaver about this um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, deeper aero wheels, that sort of thing. You know, that seems like, a, a, in theory, a potentially obvious place to um, to gain some aerodynamic advantage. You know, okay, aerodynamics kind of takes, you know, it gets more important the faster you go. And, and you know, in the world of downhill, they're going very fast as well. But his sort of argument was, you know, these deeper wheels can lead to harsher feel, um, which detracts from from comfort, obviously, and, and and can impact on the handling of the bike if the wheels popping and pinging off everything. But I sort of think, well, why don't we why don't we have like um, little aerodynamic shrouds that effectively clip over the spokes? And I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of spitballing here a little bit, but it feels to me that you know we're talking about racing, we're talking about going as fast as possible. So at some point, aerodynamics really should come into it. I, I reckon, and as you say, lycra makes a big difference. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, you know, your, your clothing, like, um, you know, I remember the, the podcast that we were both on the, a few weeks ago talking about this, and, you know, it was Tracy Mosley's shoes that were causing the biggest the biggest thing, and she had shoe covers. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether the, the World Cup cross-country guys wear and girls wear, wear shoe covers or not, but, you know, you'd have thought that they would be eking out every possible advantage. And I guess maybe there's a few rules with the UCI with kind of, you know, leveling the playing field. But then if everyone's allowed to do aerodynamics, then, you know. Okay, so 
you know, you kind of think about aero, aero wheels, aero this, that, and the other. I guess that there's a time and a place for them, right? So expanding mm. on Rob's thoughts of, you know, deep, deep rim wheels are going to be harsher over bumps. Fine, so you're probably not going to run them on a slow, techie course. But then if there's a slightly more open, fire roady type track that's faster, you know, maybe with crosswinds, um, I remember at the Rio Olympics, it was up on the side of a hill. There was no trees. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they were suffering from from crosswinds, and uh, you know, some more aerodynamics would have helped. Um, so you know, it kind of depends on the course, and I guess with the direction cross country is going in, it's, it's kind of hard to say because you know we, we won't find out until next year what the what the Olympic World Cup tracks like. So yeah, you know, you've you've got the slightly less technical tracks that maybe aero might might be more suited to, and those longer, less technical tracks. Well, that's kind of marathon racing, isn't it? You know, those guys are plugging along pretty hardcore fire roads, and you know, slightly, definitely not easier. Don't get me wrong, but you know, less course specific uh, single tracks and trails in the mountains. Um, but then you hear kind of people saying, well, isn't gravel riding just just cross country? or isn't cross-country just gravel riding and aren't gravel riders riding mountain bikes from, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Um, that argument's always... A, I, I find that argument a funny one, isn't it? Um, are gravel bikes just old-school XC bikes? And, you know, maybe there's some sort of argument for that. I, I, I stand in very much the camp that a gravel bike is a fairly specific thing and does a fairly specific job very well. Um, but again, it's it's that whole... goes back to the whole argument of riding a bike right to its limits you know riding a gravel bike down single track that might be a bit crap on a normal mountain bike is actually hell of a lot of fun um rattling along and uh, and what have you and again you know if we're going to talk about the aerodynamics maybe if you are worried about aero and wanting to go fast over long distances maybe a gravel bike you know could be a good option for that um i did um bringing it back to mountain bike you know i, I did a three-day marathon race last year in in south africa um and like you sort of said, you know, the, the courses, you know, we, we were riding in pelotons at times, you know, quite often we'd be riding along long, flat, straight, um, fire road or dirt road sections where, you know, literally just holding the handlebars right by the stem and getting into a tuck made a huge difference to the amount of effort we had to put in. And certainly at that point, you know, if you are racing those 100k or 120k races where they're not as technical as some of these World Cup XC courses, that point aerodynamics makes a huge amount of sense as does the sort of the type the type of bike you're choosing so it's it's still a fairly broad spectrum of um of requirements so i, I guess for brands to build a, a cross-country bike you know it's a tricky thing to do yeah absolutely because you're you're kind of pigeonholing it into one thing aren't you and cross-country is arguably one of the one of the more diverse disciplines of yeah of of mountain biking you know compared to enduro which is actually really quite specific and niche um, i mean enduro is basically downhill isn't it with a bit of pedaling in the middle of it <laughs> yeah completely yeah yeah completely but cross country you know you, you do you've you've got such a broad spectrum of trails and types of riding that you do in it um you know may, maybe cross country is the formula one of mountain biking and everyone's got it yeah. wrong all these years that downhill is not actually the Formula One. It's, it's cross country. And that's coming from a downhiller. So I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe downhill is like the Baja truck of uh, yeah, maybe, motor racing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, Paris, the Paris-Dakar Dakar rally. <laughs> one of the, um, we touched on it earlier on, one of the sort of more interesting XC bikes out there at the moment is the Trek Supercaliber. Um, 
And this, if you're not sort of familiar with it, it's basically a, well, it looks like a hardtail, um, but uh, slung underneath the top tube is a um, proprietary shock from Fox, uh, which gives 60 millimetres of rear wheel travel. And it's kind of a development of the old softtail bikes that we saw um, certainly like late 90s, early 2000s, the softtail became a bit of a thing where it wasn't a full-blown full suspension bike um, with all the linkages and all this sort of stuff but it was a, a hardtail with flexible rear stays um, and a small shock offering anything from some of them were even like 15 mil um, all the way up to sort of 30 mil of rear wheel travel often um, and Trek seemed to have rekindled this a little bit for a mountain bike for a cross-country mountain bike um, with the super caliber um, I, I sort of wonder whether it's I haven't decided yet whether I think it's a an unnecessary halfway house or a genius halfway house. Have you um, got any opinions on it? Yeah, I don't know. I think I think I'd probably need to ride one first to see because you know I mean I, I guess it's going to ride similarly to a um, a URT style mountain bike where the mm. the bottom bracket's attached to the swing arm rather than the mainframe, so pedal bob's going to be less of an issue. Um, and I you know I guess if 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 there is literally no pedal bob at all and no losses to suspension moving around when you don't want it to, then it doesn't seem like a terrible idea. Um, it's yeah. you know that their ISO strut, which is which is what they've called it. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much it weighs off the top of my head, um, but it can't be can't be too heavy. Um, and you see on their um, road bikes, on a few of their road bikes, they've got the ISO flex um, on on the rear stays, which are, you know the ISO strut just seems like a a continuation of that technology to give a little bit more travel um and it you know for, for a proper hardcore cross-country race bike it certainly seems to do a good job of bridging the gap between hardtail and full suspension i, I think maybe what what would have been been good and now we just can speculate for the rest of forever well until 2021 at least it's actually seeing the bikes on the lineup at the Olympics and what all of the big names are sitting on. And I think the, the proof would have very much been in the pudding right there. And it would have, uh, you know, it would have put a lot of brands' claims right in front of the spotlight, under the microscope, to complete scrutiny to see what actually works and what doesn't. Okay, mm. fine, you know, the winner could be the fittest person, but equally, if they're the least comfortable and they're struggling through pain, they're not going to be riding as quicker... Um, and then the proof would be, well, you know, actually, a uh, full suspension bike would have been better or a hardtail would have been better. And, okay, it's course-specific as well, and we're not going to find out what the uh, Olympic course looks like this year, you know, n- n- not in any detail. I think there's been a few little head cam shots here and there, but nothing nothing major. Um, you know, the, the, the proof would have been in the pudding, I think. And it's definitely mm. good to see the the development and the thinking outside of the box and, and the giving people options. You know, m- maybe if you're predominantly a hardtail rider and you're thinking, oh, do you know what, I'd, I'd love a bit of extra comfort, then, you know, the Super Calibre maybe looks like the perfect option. Mm. Um, Are I you, think, um, oh God. I, I, I think maybe a, a, just looking at the prices of the, of the bike. I mean, you know, the entry level one's not it's it's not disgustingly expensive. It's still four thousand pounds or four thousand seven hundred and ninety-nine dollars. So it's not cheap by any standard, but you are mm. still getting the same amount of tech as you are on the on the Halo nine thousand dollar, you know. Well, it's actually <laughs> it's actually eleven thousand eleven thousand oh, dollars. Yeah. yeah, eleven thousand dollar Halo bike. Uh, nine thousand two hundred pounds. Yeah, r- ridiculous. Um 
so yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like you, I'm kind of a bit, I'm not, I'm not perplexed by it, but certainly there's a, there's a big question mark hanging over the whole thing. Mm. And it's, and it's a shame that we haven't been able to see, to see exactly what the, what the guys are on and what they're doing. Well, as soon as we get the bike into it, uh, well, into bike radar, we'll, um, we'll bring you a review. I'm definitely looking forward to riding it. Are you, um, before we sort of sign off, are you, are you looking at doing any cross country racing anytime soon, Alex? You're a, you're a very fit young man. Um, do you know what? I've, I've kind of, I've always toyed with the idea of cross country races, but I've, I've never had the, I've, I've never had the confidence or courage to do one because let's face it, they're flipping difficult. They are not easy. You know, it's, it's big boy stuff. It's, you know, it's, uh, there's so many levels of punishment there. I've, I've seen yours, your Strava profile. Um, and I've seen mine <clears throat> and the two don't compare, but, um, I did a, I did an XC race earlier this year. Like the only race, it was probably about the only race that happened in the UK this year. It was the first round of the Welsh um, cross country series. I'm um, at the Forest of Dean in in England. Uh, but anyway, um, and you know, if you've not raced cross country before, it is an awful lot of fun. Like I genuinely had a great day doing it. Um, <clears throat> very little pressure. Very friendly atmosphere. Um, I was straight into the sport category because not having a license, I couldn't, you know, uh, or any history of results, um, I couldn't uh, do any of the uh, big boy categories. Um, and even with my sort of mediocre fitness, I did, I did all right. So Al, if if you had a chance to, I, I'm fairly confident you'd um, fairly well smash it in a, certainly in the sport category, mate. Well, yeah, I just enter the the open category for all the glory. Yeah, do it, do it. Get across, get across country biking, get a race bike into test, and um, go go racing, mate. It's great. Maybe, maybe that can be a a twenty twenty goal. The second half yeah. of unlocked down twenty twenty. Yeah, did we talk about it? We I did a podcast um, a few months ago, certainly with myself. I think Luke Marshall from MBUK was in there. Maybe Weaves. But it was like the the toughest mountain bike disciplines. You can find that um, in your podcast provider and. I think myself and Luke made a, a wager that he'd go and race a marathon if I go and went and raced a downhill race or something like that. Um, so maybe we should get you in an XC race. We'll, we'll do some features about it. Huh? Well, we could do a, we could do a three way challenge. That'd be good, wouldn't it? There we go. Yeah, we'll do an enduro, an XC race, and a downhill race, and um, I'll yeah. come last in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll be just in front of you, second to last. That's fine. And oh, Luke, Luke, Luke will be third to last. <laughs> Three, Luke's an three. absolute flyer, isn't he? Yeah, I know. Scary. Yeah. Strong boy. Yeah. Right. Well, we've probably um, we've witted on in a very unstructured manner for a podcast. So um, if you've managed to get to the end of this, well done. Um, I don't know how we've managed it, but we have. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, extra marks if you've understood a word that we've said as well. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think the sort of the take-home message, you know, like this year has been um, a vintage year for cross country, and I think cross country is really is going from strength to strength, um, both here in the UK and, and globally. You know, brands are bringing out really exciting new bikes. There's a plethora of, of new tech that's finding its way onto XC. Um, and I think the future is going to be strong for, for this type of riding. It's definitely the sort of bike that many people could probably get away with, certainly if we're looking at the sort of the down country aspects, you know, slightly longer travel, slightly burly, but still very much with the DNA of an XC race bike. Um, so, you know, if you are curious about it, go and, go and try some out, you know, the feeling of speed that you get from a proper cross country race bike is something that you're not going to experience on any other kind of mountain bike. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's how I would sort of summarise it all. Um, but you, any closing thoughts on on cross country, Alex? I, I completely agree with what with what you've just said. It's that thrill of speed. There is nothing quite like it under your own power going up a climb or along an undulating trail. A cross country bike, it, it's incredible. It really does. It feels amazing. Happy days. Well, um, keep an eye out on uh, on Bike Radar for full reviews of as many of these latest XC bikes as possible. I know I've got a few arriving um, into the workshop in the next few weeks. Uh, there's also going to be a cross-country Olympic hopefuls, or at least the bikes you've not seen in the Olympics this year, sadly, uh, bike test going into MBUK. I'm pretty sure it's going to be issue 387, so that'll be on sale probably September, October time. Um, so if you are looking um, for a, a full set of comparative reviews, um, check that issue out when it comes out. Um, and keep an eye on Bike Radar and on the YouTube channel. We've got some pretty cool cross-country features in the works, um, so keep an eye out on there. But yeah, in the meantime, um, thank you very much for your time, Alex. Um, as I said, we've witted on no end. <laughs> so thanks for all your thoughts. <laughs> Beautifully. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, leave us ratings, share it with your mates. Um, and come back uh, for the next episode every Monday and every Friday. Thanks very much uh, and goodbye for now. Bye, guys. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.